Bible reading from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. But while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges, urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. For if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Whether this is the second, third, or fourth letter to Corinth, the content shows Paul struggling with relationships and reconciliation. The fallout of broken relationships and reconciliation with the Corinthian church is what this letter is about. Paul was missing the help 
the mutual support and their confidence. Supporters sent letters seeking to defend and to restore those relationships. The relationships with himself, his team, and with each other, and more with God. Paul has reminded them that their relationship with God was one at Paul's expense. He reminds them of their mutual relationship in God in Jesus and how precious this is. That relationship not protecting, needs protecting from people. Some are accusing Paul falsely, and this has led to the breakdown of the relationship in the church and with Paul and Corinth. He also reminds them that their faith is based on the knowledge that Jesus has given up everything for them. And this includes Paul as well. We are in the same boat, as someone has said fairly recently. As a reminder that our our chapters, verses and subheadings are not in the original, the previous sentence at the end of chapter 4 says, So we do not lose heart, even though our outward nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slightly momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not what we can see, but what we cannot be seen. What can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Paul continues that theme in this, mess- in this passage. To look beyond what we see, this current life, this part of a future and a brighter, a future that is brighter and bigger. Paul continues the theme here, likening this present life to a tent. Perhaps to us, the image of a tent is a lot more temporal than to the image Paul has in mind. We think of equipment used for camping, mounting, climbing, and sadly today, homelessness. These tents uh, take a short time to erect and even shorter time to dismantle or destroy. The word used here is tabernacle, which in the mind of Paul, although still still temporary, is less able to be carried off. It was more secure and possibly more ornate. Think of a Bedouin, a Gert, a Marquis. Paul wanted the church to imagine the tabernacle that was at the centre of the worship during the wilderness years in the early history of Israel in Cana, where it took hundreds of Levites to carry, assemble and disassemble. Paul was saying even though this life can be full, big, important, it's not a complete image. He encourages the church to be seen as a building, a house, possibly more like King Solomon's temple than a tent. Paul wanted the church to leave behind the temporary and look to the permanent. There was a need to grow, to develop, mature, and to build for the eternal while here on earth. Listening to the sermons over the last weeks and months in lockdown, under the service title of Provoking Faith, I've heard a strong message of hope from them. They've not been pie-in-the-sky hope, for they have acknowledged that, yes, we suffer. Yes, we toil. Yes, we have ills. Yes, we have relationship failures. Yes, we make mistakes. 
Yes, we doubt. But resonating above these passages, as here in the Corinthians, we hear the encourage, we are here to encourage and remember that we walk by faith, not by sight. Or as in Job, in my flesh, I will see God. After reminding them of their faith, Paul moves the community through to consider their responsibility. This is to be ambassadors for Christ, not because they're perfect, but because they have experienced the love and reconciliation of God. I love the thought of being an ambassador. It's our image of all those Ferrero Rochers, other indulgent chocolates that are available, that are being eaten and people saying, oh, you spoil us, Mr. Ambassador. The power of advertising. Ambassadorship is not all about indulgence. We have experienced over the past months where the ambassador of China and Russia have had to defend their country's behavior in the press. China over the Uyghur people and Russia over their influence in British domestic politics. Their response, of course, has been our nation? Never. We wouldn't. We couldn't. Be underhanded? How dare you suggest we would be genocidal or Machiavellian? Prove your allegations and reveal your sources. Being an ambassador is not an easy job. They seem to have no impact on the decisions of their governments, but are called to give account for the actions of their government. Paul is calling each Christian as an ambassador for God. Paul wants the believers, because of their experience of God, to be an ambassador of reconciliation. The world wants us to defend God's actions, to defend the stories in Scripture, to defend the church's actions, to defend our actions. But we are called to make sure and to clearly display the reconciliation of God in Christ Jesus. August the 15th marks the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, when Japan surrendered to the Allied forces. We had just dropped the atomic bomb twice. It was a horrendous conflict. And I found the story of Ernest Gordon, a prisoner of war who worked on the railway, who suffered and nearly died in the death wards. He was impressed by the faith of two of his fellow prisoners. He came to faith, worked through his anger, dealt with his situation, and after the camp was liberated and the Japanese were in fear of their lives, he was asked, why are you not seeking revenge? And he said, I, rem I am remembering the story of the Good Samaritan. Gordon became a minister in the church in Scotland. His story is found in the miracle on the River Quine. Then this week, we saw the funeral of Senator John Lewis, a Baptist preacher, a civil rights activist, a man who was beaten, arrested, threatened, who used his faith as a strength to change American history. Both these men are examples of being an ambassador for reconciliation, who changed their world by their actions because of their faith. They grew, developed, changed, and experienced 
the words of Paul. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Some thoughts as we end. If we are ambassadors of reconciliation, how do we deal with those who have hurt us? How do we want to be dealt with by those we hurt? How do we stop hurting others? And how do we assist God in reconciling his world? Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to ask the panellists to unmute themselves and get their cameras back on. Um, and while, we, while they're just pressing some buttons to say that if you are part of the live webinar, then please do put your comments or questions or answers to Nigel's questions that he pops in at the end um, into the chat function. So if you look at the bottom of the screen in the middle, there's some little buttons, hopefully, or if you're on a phone, you can just sort of tap the phone and then the chat function will come up. Um, we'd love to hear what everyone's saying. Or everyone is thinking from that um, and I wonder if any of the panelists would like to go first with their thoughts to kick us off how do you feel about being an ambassador for reconciliation does that feel like a big task or does it feel like an easy peasy task Okay, I'll, I'll kick off. <laughs> Thanks, uh, having been the person who read the reading, I found it quite difficult to understand. Um, so thank you, Nigel, for using the word ambassador, because that makes far more sense to me. I, I see how it makes the connection, but it's a much easier word to, to understand. I like the idea of ambassadors who have to work in two directions, defending their country to their host, and presenting their country to their host. But as um, ambassadors are very often asked, you know, why does your country do X, Y, and Z? And people ask us, you know, why does God allow suffering? Well, actually our job is to explain God to people in their, in their picture of God, but actually to, to represent God and Christ to the rest of the world. I'm not sure whether that makes it even more complicated, but uh, that was <laughs> thought this morning i feel quite privileged having the name of an ambassador actually it's, it's so good i did laugh when you were mentioning the frere rochers though which i did like thank you keith does it um duncan or sullivan do you want to come back to that or add to that nigel do you want to say anything about that i just like Ferrero rocher i'm sorry <laughs> well i'm rather fascinated by ambassadors or diplomats um, in the past few years, my work has overlapped very closely with diplomats. Um, I now visit embassies almost every week. Last week I had lunch with, they weren't ambassadors, but they were senior ministerial diplomats from two countries, and I introduced them to each other. Um, and we didn't have Ferrero Rocher, we did have rather a nice lunch though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I end up in a conversation about uh, their countries, but then they ask me questions about the UK, 
uh, and I, I'm put on the spot to explain things here. I mean, I think there is a parallel with explaining religious ideas too, because, you know, the thing is, if I want to explain something about how the parliamentary system works here or um, defence policy, foreign policy, the sort of things that ministers from other countries are interested in, if I then cover it up with my own opinion and interpretation, that's not very helpful. I have to do my best to be detached, to explain things um, objectively. I'm not really there to um, defend things. I, I mean, there are many times I may say, well, I just don't know the answer to that because, you know, my experience is limited. So there is a parallel, I think, with being an ambassador. Um, I mean, I don't know whether there is a job for a freelance diplomat. If there is, I'm sort of doing that a bit. Um, it's not easy, though, uh, because uh -huh. the other thing to bear in mind about this is that the ideology of these other Asian countries, you know, can be very profoundly different to my own and each other's. I mean, the way they think about things, I mean, Keith mentioned the Second World War and the, and the Japanese and everything there. I mean, obviously, the way in which China, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan and other countries in Asia look at that period of history is very, very, very different indeed to the way that we see it here, flying Spitfires across NHS hospitals saying, thank you, NHS. I mean, that's, a, that's an odd response as far as they're concerned. So it's a really challenging thing. And I suppose, again, bringing it back to the parallel of the Bible passage, you're sort of left with the idea that you need to connect as much as possible with the homeland, but recognize that you can't justify and explain all the peculiarities of your own country any more than <laughs> you can explain to somebody who's not a follower of Christianity, you know, why the Southern Baptists in the United States have a certain approach to things or the Roman Catholic Church or you know, priests are portrayed in, you know, television dramas. <laughs> and if it was easy, we would have all just explained, well, this is what God is like. Da, 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 tick the box. Yeah. I and it was would be very different. I was once asked, actually, what's the difference between a bishop and a deacon? Somebody asked me that. <laughs> As though somehow sitting on the committee of deacons at Bloomsbury Baptist Church was on a par with being a... Uh, the very reverend <laughs> bishop mm. of the large diocese. <laughs> I was interested in what you said about that. Oh, sorry, Nigel, did you want to say something? That depends on your ecclesiology. It really does. <laughs> but I think I, it's that view, but everyone comes from their different viewpoints. So I was interested in what you said about, Duncan was saying about how it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a dialogue. Like he said, we're not, we're not there to defend. We're there to kind of, reconcile um i've got a couple of questions have a think about that we've got a couple of questions that um comments that have come in i've got one from from someone who's on facebook hello Elmery, welcome um and her question is how can we be ambassadors without having experienced the love and reconciliation of god is that possible yes if i could just comment absolutely uh, to be an ambassador, uh, I think, is another striking word that's coming to place, is to have a conviction. Uh, as Nigel uh, made reference to uh, or John Lewis, for example, 
who uh, passed away, who left us uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, he as a man, had, he was an ambassador, but he had a conviction of his country. So being an ambassador, you must have a conviction, especially an ambassador of Christ. That is the way you believe that, you know, how things will turn out based on what Jesus ability to believe. You know, how you have that strong conviction that, you know, the only way is non-violence, the only way is love, the only way is, is peace understanding between the human race. So that conviction as an ambassador of Christ, we as Christians should carry. And, and that bring about a kind of change. That's what people like John Lewis believed in. And, and certainly change did come to America. So as ambassador, that is to say representing Christ here on earth, we should have the conviction that what we do, what is things that we set examples of, we should also believe that those things will bring about change. Yes, that expectation. Yes. Yeah. Um, that leads quite nicely into a couple of comments that I'm going to read out for those who can't see them, um, especially people on the phone, etc. Um, in the chat. Um, so Jeff has said, what does reconciliation between God and man actually mean? If your understanding of God is of an external force pushing particles, maybe that makes sense. If you have a more incarnate version of God, the idea of reconciliation is very different. How does it help? Does it help to explore the difference between reconciliation and integration? So if anyone wants to come in on that. And then I've got another one from Dermot which says perhaps one of the softer skills of being an ambassador is to keep lines of communication open rather than ending things or shutting things down. I think they're both really, I've got lots of nods going on there as well. Thank you for those gents. Um, anyone else wanna add in or come back on what each other has said? Or should we move on? Nigel, you've unmuted. I'm, I'm slight. I'm, you know, the the questions. How do we deal with those who have hurt us? How do we, you? Know, yeah. How do we respond? You know, Paul worked hard. If this was his fourth letter to the Corinthian church, he worked hard at building those relationships. Absolutely. And re, re engaging with them. And uh, you know, sometimes when someone hurts us, we just go and uh, yeah. walk away. So that definitely fits in with what Dermot was saying, that sometimes it's it's not our role to be like, to be the formal ambassador, as it were, and to say, well, this is how it is, but actually just to understand other people. And as Duncan was saying, it's, it's a dialogue sometimes between you and other people. And it's not your job to convince, it's just your job to be part of that relationship. Any final thoughts from anyone else or shall we move on to our next section? No one is nodding. So thank you everyone for your comments. I'm now going to hand over to Duncan 
who is going to lead us all in our prayers of intercession this morning. Thank you, Helen. Let's pray. Ever-present God, we give you praise that you're always with us in body, mind and soul. You constantly offer us new life, imploring us to be a part of your miraculous creation. You have created a beautiful world, but we know that it also contains much sorrow, pain and fear. The current crisis has taken so many lives and caused so much destruction. We know that things must change, but sometimes we feel powerless in the face of entrenched patterns of inequality, social exclusion and extremism. Lord, we ask for your grace. Restore those who feel swallowed up by life. Calm those who are out of their minds. And forgive those who feel harshly judged and worry that their mistakes negate all their achievements and render them unlovable. Lord, as you call us to a new and more fulfilling life, help us to live less for ourselves and more for others. Send us out as your ambassadors. Give each of us our own diplomatic assignment for the Ministry of Reconciliation. Guide us in practical ways that we can be genuinely helpful and allow your creative spirit to touch every area of our lives. Amen. 